God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. Welcome, everybody. We are in a series entitled Believe. Remember, if I could sum it up with one word, that'd be the word. God wants us to believe. If you're an existing Christ follower, He wants to deepen your faith. If you're someone who's looking into Christianity, God wants to invite you to put your trust in Him, to believe in Him. As a matter of fact, John's own words, he put it this way. He says, I've written these things down that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you will have life by the power, the power of his name. Is that not cool? So that's why John wrote the gospel, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, is he wants us to believe. And if there's one thing that can interfere with our belief... It is sometimes having a lack of context of what's going on in our life. We can get fixated with circumstances, trials, or even suffering. Wendy and I were chatting. We were talking about back when we were parents of some young ones. And our daughter, Keita, who's actually on the front row right here. I'm going to try not to embarrass her. Uh, I did get permission to share this story, though. When she was five years old, she was going to a morning kindergarten class. And they had a morning and they had an afternoon session. She went to the morning session. And she's pretty social and bubbly and she's loving kindergarten. And well, one, af- one morning after she gets picked up, Wendy notices that she has something stuffed into her socks. And so when they get home, Wendy investigates and she asks her to pull out what's under her socks. And lo and behold, Kata had four small farm animals in her socks. So Wendy's going, hmm... You know, where did those come from? And Kata quickly says, well, I won them at school. <laughs> and, and Wendy's just kind of, is a little bit suspicious, so she just kind of prods a little bit more. Finally, Kata confesses that she actually stole the farm animals from the school. And Wendy and I kind of thought this would be a great character-building moment for her if we could help her realize that there's consequences. And so Wendy told her, at the end of the afternoon kindergarten class, Katie was going to have to go back to Mrs. Hayes, that was her teacher, and told, tell her she stole the farm animals and give them back. Well, when Wendy said that to Katie, she just got really dramatic and, and she throws her head back. She says, no, mom, no. And if you love me, you won't kind of make me do that. And she didn't want to like, she was, first of all, she was going to be embarrassed and she didn't want to upset Mrs. Hayes. But she was so mad at her mom. But we just wanted this to be the first and last of her heists in life. (laughs) Why am I bringing this up? Because we all have a tendency to get fixated with difficult, challenging circumstances. Whether we are causing them or something else is causing them to happen in our life. And they can become overwhelming. And if there's one thing that probably brings darkness quicker to our context where we can't see what God is doing, it's it's pain and suffering. It's pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, I would say that suffering is the roadblock to many people's belief in Jesus. If you've ever been to a philosophy class or had a good atheist friend, then you've heard the question, how can a loving God allow there to be suffering in this world? Come on. I would go so far as to say that we have believers in the house, including myself, that at times when I've gone through difficult times, I've wondered, where are you, God? How does this match with who you are? 
Philip Yancey, in one of his books, went so far to say that many of us will not acknowledge it, but our thoughts are perhaps this is God's one mistake to allow suffering to take place in this world. So it's with this in mind, we're talking about belief. The one thing that can keep us from believing and trusting God in the midst of our life and and, and understanding his broader narrative could be our own pain and suffering. So with that, I want us to go to John's Gospel, chapter 9. Come on, somebody. Open this up. Amen. Verse 1. And as he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from what? Birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, as normal as it is in our culture to ask, you know, how can a loving God allow there to be suffering, for a Jewish disciple, this is a really legit question. Because they understood that through the fall of man, sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, it brought death, suffering, and sickness. You can find that narrative in Genesis chapter 3. Let's look how Jesus responds. Verse 3, and Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God or the power of God might be displayed in him. Look at this. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, a couple things here. I want to keep that verse up. I want you to recognize how Jesus doesn't deny the association of sin with suffering or sickness. But he does point out that not every sickness or every suffering is directly associated with that individual's sin. And I love what Jesus does here. He refuses to get into a philosophical or theological debate about the love of God and suffering. Rather, he says, let's just do something about it. Let's just get busy. Let's work while it is day. That was synonymous with, see, they didn't have electricity like us. So as long as there was daylight, people could work. As soon as night was, 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 was coming upon them, work was over. And Jesus said, hey, all of us, at some point, we won't be able to do anymore. So let's work while it's still day. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud. He made a mud pie with his saliva, his spittle. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud pie. I think that's pretty funny. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, some of you are going, like, Ew, it's not very COVID safe. No, it's not. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back, what? Seeing, scripture tells us. Seeing. The imagery here, Jesus is the light of the world. It's a metaphor for how God wants to bring light to our soul, to our very lives. But now we're not just seeing a metaphor here. We're seeing a man who is literally living in darkness. He has no sight. And so we see how God literally now transforms his life and gives him sight. Look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he sure looks like him. And he kept saying, hey, I am the man. I am the man. So cool. Look at verse 10. 
So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened if you're the guy? And he answered them, the man called Jesus, made mud and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, no clue. I don't know. It's crazy how the Pharisees here, the religious elite, are wanting to know how Jesus healed, how this man was healed, when really they should have been asking the man, who healed you? And the man says, it was this guy named Jesus. And, And listen, this man doesn't necessarily even believe that Jesus is the Messiah yet. He just knows that this man healed him. Now, for context purposes, and give the broader story, really, of us understanding Scripture, we need to know that if someone was blind in Bible days, ancient times, then they were marginalized. And this man was born since birth. There was no way for an occupation. He was literally, as we'll read later in the Gospel of John, really discarded by his parents. The only way he could make a living was to beg. And so people just normally blew him off, but not Jesus. What, did, what happened? What did the Scripture say? Jesus saw him. Jesus literally saw this man and wanted to make a difference in his life. Now, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your circumstances are. I do know this as I prayed. There are people online and you are suffering. For some of you, it is a physical condition, possibly chronic. For some of you, it's a diagnosis. For others of us in the house, it's it's something in our workplace that just doesn't seem to go away and it's always popping up and it's, it's wearing on our patients and we're weary right now. For some of it, it's, it's society and it's, it's politics or it's the news or it's life as a whole. We're weary. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is willing to stop everything and look directly in your eyes and see you. And see you. And he knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He knows what it is that, is that you're so easily fixated with. And so I'd like to give you just two takeaways, two observations that we learned from this blind man. Jesus wants us to see that he isn't just about metaphors here. He's letting this man become an allegory of the redemptive narrative of Jesus. And what I'd like to do just in our time this weekend is zoom in on the fact that that. We all go through times of suffering. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, that in this world we will have troubles. But take heart, he says, I've overcome the world. And trust me, what God can overcome, he can also overcome in your life. So a couple takeaways. Here's the first one. That God wants to work his power in my life. That God wants to work his power in my life. I I love what verse 3 says, that this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the specifics, but I know this. God doesn't want you so fixated with your limitations or your circumstances or your situation that you fail to see the bigger picture of what he's trying to do in your life and through your life. That God will use everything going on in your life, all the circumstances, to make a difference. I've heard people say that life can be be summed up as us from suffering one thing to another thing. Defined by one suffering moment to the next. And that's kind of bleak. 
And if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to get in the soap opera of life and the drama of our culture and fail to see how God is moving. Here's a promise I have for you. This is a guarantee I have for you. That God will supernaturally either change your circumstances or change your heart. He wants to move powerfully in your life through your circumstances. In the story we just read, what did Jesus do? He heals this man of blindness. As we'll see later as we read on, it doesn't stop there. But what's to say that God wasn't already working his power through this man when he was blind? That God could have been using this man while he was blind to draw people to God. Now, this is contrary to some people's faith, but I, I, I believe this. I have a good friend. He's a quadriplegic. He's off skiing with his son, driving back from Colorado one day. He let his son drive. His son fell asleep, rolled the car. His son walked away with the bruises, and he became a quadriplegic. He believes in healing, and yet God has still not physically healed him And yet, let me tell you, every day of his life now, while he may be in a wheelchair, I see the glory of God, the power of God demonstrated through his life. We have a way of putting God in a box and we assume if he doesn't delete my problems, he's not God. But it could be that God wants to use your circumstances to show forth his power in a creative way that you fail to see. See, God wants to use whatever is going on in your life for you to experience his power. That's number one, that God wants to demonstrate his power in your life with whatever your circumstances are. Here's number two. We learned that from the blind man. Here's the second thing we learned from the blind man. There's a broader story taking place, right? I mean, if you and I were, you know, near the temple courts or where Jesus was in Jerusalem, And we saw this blind guy being led by one of the disciples. He's got these two big mud pies on his eyes. What would you think? I mean, some of you are thinking facial time. I don't know. Some of you are thinking that is just plain bizarre. Because we don't know what Jesus started. We don't see even now how this ends. We know the man receives sight. But this story's not done, church. His story's not done. And for some of us, we are so fixated right now with circumstances and with situations in our life, we fail to see the bigger story. And God is inviting you to allow your story to be part of his story so that your story makes a difference in our story. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a short teaching. What happens when God doesn't remove the pain? What happens when God doesn't remove the suffering? How does God use that to help us be part of the broader picture, the redemption story. And there's three simple ways that God will use your pain and your suffering. I know it's not a popular subject, but I want you, I just want to be your pastor. I want want to help pastor you in this. And so it's so important that if you're going to be part of the redemptive story of Christ, that you allow there to be meaning in your present circumstances so that there's a depth of purpose and meaning and And you can see that in how God uses suffering. He brings purpose to suffering. Here's the first way God does it. Suffering will equip you. Suffering will equip you. If you've ever gone through a painful experience, you know it helps having others who actually understand. How many know what I'm talking about? If you've never lost somebody, 
then it's going to be hard for you to really be able to understand the loss someone else is feeling. I know when I lost my dad, I didn't need people saying all the stuff that you think you're supposed to say. I needed someone who just would sit with me and understand the depth of my pain. It matters to be around others that have experienced what you've experienced. So God will use suffering. I remember Joseph said this when Joseph had gone through prison and been betrayed by his brothers in the Old Testament when he had all the reason in the world to be bitter at all that taken place in his life and by what his brothers did, he actually had forgave them and said, you know what? God used it all to send me ahead of you. That God will use your suffering to send you ahead to help others. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not even saying we should long for it. But God will use your suffering, your pain, your relational crises to help you minister to others. Paul, the Apostle Paul, I love it. He put it this way. It's beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said this. He comforts us, that being God, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same what? Comfort that God has given us. See, our suffering, I know it's not a fun subject, but our suffering actually equips us for ministry. It allows us to be part of the redemptive narrative story of what Jesus wants to do with all of creation. Here's the second thing suffering does. It will strengthen your faith. If I were to interview some of you going through a hard time, you say, Rick, never has the Bible been more real in my life. There's times when I've been struggling with loneliness. You know, you can have lots of people around you and still be lonely. But it was in my loneliness that God taught me to be alone with him. That it strengthened my faith. And God wants to do that with us. He longs to strengthen your faith. I'm going to say something now that's probably not real popular. And I want you to listen real carefully. But faith is more valuable than health. In a humanistic society where all we want to be is happy, that's not a popular statement. But your faith is more valuable to God and even our world than your health. I believe in healing. I believe God delights in healing. We see that in our passage, that he loves doing that. But know this, all healing, physical healing, is temporary. Paul says our bodies are like a tent that's wearing out, church. At some point, something's going to get you. And the ultimate healing is never on this side anyway. The ultimate salvation is our soul. is what God does in us and the fact that we get to live for eternity, that even when this tent falls to the ground. I'm alive in Jesus. So let's get perspective. There's a bigger story here. God will use suffering to equip you. God will use your suffering to draw you close to him. Paul, he said it this way. He said, man, I got this physical element. He said, it's like a thorn in my side. It's like an rod's been impaled in my body. That's visual picture. He said, and Satan's using it to torment me on a regular basis. Paul went on and said, I prayed three times for God to remove it. And guess what God told him? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be made perfect in my weakness. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. No wonder that James tells us 
In James chapter one, verses like three and four, he says, count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations and suffering. And we're thinking, time out, James. But he says that the testing of your faith works patience. It it brings resolution to your depths of your soul. It helps you have grit and strength that this world knows not of. That you're not living for the moment. You're part of the grander narrative. My friends, there's more to your story. Don't allow suffering, pain, or relational crises to dictate or define who you are. So suffering will equip us. Suffering will strengthen our faith. Here's something else suffering will do. Suffering will correct you. It's not the preferred method, but sometimes it's the only thing that will get our attention. If you're getting off the path a little bit with God, there's nothing like a wake-up call from pain. If you're a parent, you get this when it comes to disciplining your child. You don't want to discipline your child, but you want them to understand there are consequences. And so you at times use pain. You take a cell phone away from a 13-year-old and their life is over. You ground them from doing anything with their friends for two weeks and they're miserable. You don't want them to be miserable. You just want them on the right path. You want them to understand that there's more for their life. There's a bigger story for them even. And so God will use pain. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, I like how Hebrews kind of sums it up. It says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. A more accurate word is chastisement. Don't, don't despise it. Now, sometimes our suffering and, or our pain has nothing to do with anything we've done. We don't need to be corrected. But there are times when we've brought some of the pain on ourselves and God wants to get our attention. David put it this way in Psalms 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. There's something implicit in that statement. Before I was afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I was going on my merry way, getting farther and farther and farther away from God that, bam, afflicted, I'm back. And now I keep your word. God will use everything he can at his disposal to help you know him, not just as your healer, but your ultimate savior, even to save you from yourself. C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly, When he said, pain removes the veil, it plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. Love that. So suffering provokes questions and it defies explanations many times, but but God. God wants to work in the midst of your life and he will, yes, he will either either supernaturally change your circumstances or he'll supernaturally change your heart. But the question is, Whose narrative will you choose to let your story be part of? Will you be part of the saga and the soap opera of our life and the daily news cycles? Or will you let there be significance and meaning to every situation in your life, good and bad? Come on, somebody. See, I know that there are individuals in the house today. You have some health concerns. And for some of you, it's been a long-term thing. You're weary and you're tired. And you've asked God to heal you. And, and, and what's hard is you've seen other people be healed. 
you need to know this, my friend, that God longs to meet you right where you are. He sees you. And if he hasn't healed you yet, then he's using this for your sake, for those around you's sake, for his glory. You're part of the redemptive story. God's not done. If you're still alive, God's not done with you yet. There are others of us here in the house, and maybe it's not a physical condition. But as I was praying, I sense there's some of us, we've had this chronic crisis of relationship with a certain family member, or perhaps it's not a family member, it's a friendship that's gone wrong. For others of us, it could be, it could be that it's a prodigal child, the son or daughter or sibling that's walked away from God or doesn't have relationship with God. And it just wears on you. And listen, my, my friends, God sees you. And he sees what you're going through. And he wants you to begin to allow that story to be inserted into his broader story. Listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today, to inspire you, to give you hope today. Why? Because your story's not done yet. And that relationship's not over yet. Allow your story to be part of the redemption story. There's more to your story, my friends. And there's an urgency that we need to catch here. Some of you are saying, well, Rick, I can't really relate to the, to the blind man right now. Man, life is good. Everything's great. Then, my friends, think of the disciples. Be a disciple of Jesus. Recognize the responsibility that we have for people who are suffering. Folks, now is the time. Don't let it delay another day. Don't let your story or your time be wasted. Let your pain, let your time be God's gain. Let it be used for the kingdom. I love how Jesus put it in John chapter 9, verse 4. He said, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. He could have said, sent me, but he sent us. Folks, we got a work to do. We have a great, imagine a group of people who refuse to become fixated on their own life issues and allow Jesus' narrative to bring significance and meaning to their life. And rather than remain in their own narrative, they invite others into their story so that their stories can become a part of God's story. Folks, this is the church. Don't allow your suffering to define you. There are some of us here right now, maybe some at one of our campuses or those online. And it could be you don't even call yourself a Christian or you don't identify with being a Christian. And I would just like to invite you to meet the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would love to remove your blindness. Do you know you can be physically alive and spiritually dead? You can have physical eyesight and be spiritually blind. And that's where some of us are today. We, we are far from God. And yet God's not far from you. And he would love to start a healing process by delivering your soul from damnation, from, from death itself, and to resurrect you, to give sight for your life, for you to see meaning and purpose. You may be the most wealthy or successful individual in the house, but my friends, if you don't know Jesus, you are blind and you are poor. And you have yet to find the significance of your life. Come home to God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. And if you happen to be in the house and you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, or maybe you once did, but you've wandered away, maybe you're that prodigal, then I want to be able to pray with you right where you are. 
So when I get the three, I'll have you raise your hand. So I'm asking everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. One, God loves you. Two, it's time to come home. Three, shoot your hand up in the air if that's you. You know you're far from God. Just raise it up really high and keep it up. Thank you. Anyone else? Just keep it up and wave it at me. Come on, keep it up. You're not alone. Thank you. On the floor, in the risers. Anyone? Thank you. On home, you're at home right now and your hand is up. God sees your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to have everyone just repeat a prayer after me and I'm going to ask everyone to pray so that those who raise their hands don't feel self-conscious. So everybody repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the invitation to be part of the redemptive story. I confess that I'm blind, that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking today for your loving forgiveness. Come and resurrect my life. Bring meaning and purpose for your glory and honor. I'm all yours. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.